culmination and the, the collision of two things. Uh, first of all, it's our final message in our fall sermon series, Next Year Will Be Better. Uh, this is the final way we're going to look at some of the ways in which we can build a better life, a better year uh, in 2024 if we situate ourselves in the pages that we are writing day by day in God's bigger story. Uh, and today, this, this collides really well with our season of Advent this December okay, as we prepare for Christmas because the word Advent, uh, all that means is arrival. I mean, that's a very, actually, a pretty normal word to use. Advent is the season we, when we remember how God's people groaned and waited the arrival, the advent of the Messiah, Jesus. And at the same time, we Christians, modern Christians today, we, we, uh, we await, we groan as we await what? The second coming of the Messiah, Jesus. Okay, uh, This is the season in which we await again the Messiah who's going to come once and for all to put all things to rights. And once and for all, when He does, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well, as St. Julian of Norwich once said very, very well. So in order to explain all of this, I have to tell you about the time that my guts almost exploded and I almost died. Uh, and uh, it all started, as so many of these stories often do, uh, at a, a, a drive through at McDonald's uh, and a sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit. And uh, so Ronella and I were driving down to Danville for a friend's funeral, and we were starving, so we, we whipped around this, this drive through I got this biscuit. And almost immediately after I started eating this thing, I started to feel bad, like my right rib uh, was, was really starting to hurt. And that pain, it was just getting worse and worse and worse. And pretty soon, uh, Ronella was driving. I had unbuckled my seatbelt, and I was, just, I was just trying to find some kind of comfortable position to put myself uh, so I could try to feel comfortable. We got to Danville right before this funeral started. Actually, it was in our old church and uh, my former position had not yet been filled, so my old office was empty. So Ronella went into the, the funeral service, and I just hid in my old office and just lay down on the couch. And I had absolutely no idea what was happening to my body, but I was just suffering and suffering and suffering. I was freaking out what was going to happen to me. I'm on fire. I'm on agony. And it's just this pain is like slowly moving down my torso. What is happening? And uh, I'm all alone in this office. Finally, Ronella comes back out about 17 years later. And uh, I'm like, you need to get me to the ER yesterday. And so she threw me in the car. We drove five minutes down the street to the hospital. And uh, the ER is just flooded with a million bajillion people there. And uh, I'm like, please give me something right now. Help me. And uh, so I sit there and uh, they, they sit me down in the, in the waiting room. And, and again, I'm there for about 17 months uh, waiting for somebody. 
There's nothing I can do. I can't breathe a certain way that will make me feel better. I can't sit a certain way. There's no relief from the pain. And the whole time, Renella, who has no idea what's going on, is doing a great job of taking care of me, but she's also like, is it really that bad? <laughs> like maybe there's a chance that you're kind of milking this a little bit. She doesn't know. And so finally they take me in, they confirm it's a kidney stone, okay? And they give me some wonderful drugs, immediately make the pain go away. And we drive back home, eventually I pass the thing without even noticing, thankfully. But this all sets us up for a great debate. Is a kidney stone really that painful? I'm trying to convince Ronella that this was a truly just horrible thing that happened to me. Like I was not exaggerating the pain. And Renella and I decided that the ultimate test, the ultimate way to figure this out was to ask a woman who had had a kidney stone and had also birthed a baby. That was the perfect way to figure out just how painful this was. And in just a second, I'm going to tell you how all that went in our marriage. But first... We're going to read the Bible, okay? So, so I want to read from you from 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, and this starts in verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people are you to be? Thanks be to God for that very good word. So, after Jesus rose from the dead and, and He ascended into heaven, all of His followers, they thought that Jesus was going to come right back, like almost instantly. And of course, a few days turned into a few months, which turned into a few years, which turned into a few decades, and all of those original followers were dying off, and they're wondering, when is this Jesus going to, take, uh, going to come back? It's taking much longer than expected. And so Peter wants to assure the church that even though this is taking way longer than they initially expected for the advent of the Messiah Jesus, that doesn't change the fact that indeed Jesus is coming. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. Actually, the Lord is not willing that anyone should perish. And so God wants everyone to have time to repent and profess Jesus is Lord. So Jesus is giving the world as much time as possible to do precisely that. But I want to talk about verse 11 for a second. Uh, the one that has been misunderstood over the years, I think especially in recent times. And the reason is that it's just an exceptionally difficult verse to uh, translate into English and into uh, more specifically modern culture. Verse 11 says, The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in will be laid bare. So let's read that line of Scripture very, very carefully for a moment. In Peter's world, this is very, very important to understand, 
In Peter's world, the heavens were not like this natural thing where you had different zones of atmosphere, and it's where water kind of condensed into these clouds, and um, uh, the oxygen just got thinner and thinner and thinner until you were at this place called outer space. That's not really how they understood things. For Peter and, and his audience and their neighbors, the heavens were like this place where all these divine beings lived. Okay? Like God and the angels and the demons, if you were a pagan, maybe that's where some of their gods lived. And that's what the heavens were to people. And Peter says that when Jesus the Messiah returns, the heavens where all these demons and these pagan gods live, it will be kind of burned away, so to speak. They're going to disappear with a roar, and uh, those things will no longer have a place to live except... um, God. And then Peter says that the elements, okay, this is the other line here, it says the elements will be destroyed by fire. You and I took chemistry in high Hopefully we took chemistry in high school. Hopefully we learned something in chemistry. And if we did, we learned about the elements, iron and copper and aluminum and nitrogen, all these kinds of things. In the New Testament times, they only had four or five elements, earth, wind, fire, water, Maybe Numa. Where's, where's Jacob? Hopefully I'm getting that right. My platonic and stoic philosophy. And so when Peter says that the elements will be destroyed by fire, maybe that's the image that Peter is going for, and that's fine. But there's a chance that the image that Peter was going for was something different. So I want to show you something uh, the word, about this word elements in the New Testament, in the Bible. Okay, it's actually translated from this Greek word stoicheia. So everybody say stoicheia with me. Stoicheia. That's a, that's fun to say. It's a fun one. Okay. So in the Bible, in the New Testament, stoicheia has a different but very important nuance to it, and you need to understand this. In the New Testament, stoicheia, this word that Peter is using right here, it refers to like these elemental spiritual forces. Okay, these celestial beings that live up in the heavens, up where the divine beings live, up in the heavens. The elements, the stoicheia, those are the heavenly bodies in the Bible, like constellations or planets that you and I can to this day see with the naked eye. And actually, if you read the English Standard Version translation, this is how they translate this exact verse here in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 3. It says, And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. So if you, uh, if you look at how they translate when Paul, the Apostle Paul uses the exact same word, stoicheia, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 3, this is what it says. Uh, you can pull this up. We were in slavery under the stoicheia, the elemental spiritual forces of the world. So that sounds a little bit different, doesn't it? doesn't sound like he's talking about aluminum and copper and nitrogen or earth, wind, fire, and water. Okay, Paul's talking about these evil spiritual beings that live in the heavens and enslave human beings like you and I. Then you look at uh, Paul in the book of Colossians. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition, and the stoicheia, the elemental spiritual forces of this world. And then in verse 20, same book, since you die with Christ to the stoicheia, the elemental spiritual forces of this world, 
Okay, this is what Paul is talking about. Paul and Peter are talking about the same thing. Not the chemical elements, not earth, wind, fire, and water of planet earth, but the evil spiritual forces that enslave and take captive of your life and the people that you love here on earth. Bye, kids. So I'm going to read verse 11 for you one more time here. The heavens, up there where all those evil spiritual beings live and those spiritual forces live, the, those principalities and powers that take captive and enslave people, up where they live, they will disappear with a roar. And the spiritual forces, the stoicheia, that live up there will be destroyed by God's fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Okay. Now there's one more thing. Okay. Peter's talking about destroying the forces of evil that enslave men and women. And there's just one more thing that I want you to understand about this verse that will bring all of this together. It's just really, really important as you lean into this Advent season. As you worship and wait for the coming Messiah. Okay. Here's the last little thing. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. The last Greek word in that sentence is translated as laid bare in the NIV. Okay, Everything done in the earth will be laid bare. And what Peter is saying is this. That evil stuff, all this evil stuff that is being done, all the ways in which you see the bad guys getting away with it. This is very important. The husband or the wife or the parent that is emotionally or physically abusive behind closed doors, Peter says it will be laid bare. That means everyone will finally see it for what's really going on there. The person that is secretly embezzling money from the business and hurting the families around them, Peter says it's going to be laid bare. The ultra-rich and powerful who casually make these decisions that scrape away at the poorest of the poor and the well-being of people like you and me, their actions and the consequences of their actions will be laid bare and everyone, including them, will finally see it for what it really is. Peter's saying is that all these evil powers that rule this present evil age, all the powerful forces that pull people towards violence, pull people towards you know, self-interest, pull people towards seeking attention at any cost, pull people into dark caves of addiction and disease and depress, a depressed life, pull people towards ruining their marriages. We wait and we wait and we wait, but the Lord is not slow in keeping His cross promise. And Peter says that on Christmas Day 2,000 years ago, Christ Jesus the Messiah came to invite all people into God's kingdom and that someday very soon, according to God's timing, Jesus the Messiah will come back. And when He does, Jesus will once and for all destroy all of the evil in the world, and Jesus will receive this world as its rightful and forever King, and all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And thanks be to God for that. And all of this reminds me of the difference between a kidney stone and childbirth. 
because Renella and I asked our friend, and we, we asked Renella's mom, both of whom had had a birthday baby and had also had a kidney stone, and much to my own deep satisfaction, both of them said that a kidney stone was more painful than giving birth to a newborn baby. And I won, and I will never let that go. <laughs> when I die, that's all I want on my tombstone. Kidney stones are worse than childbirth. But both of those women both said the same thing about the pain, about why giving birth to a seven or eight pound baby was less painful than a jagged four millimeter rock grinding along inside your body. That in, at the end of childbirth, you get a child. And at the end of a kidney stone, you get a microscopic rock in a toilet. And the story, the arc of the thing, where all of this is going, that is the thing that makes all the difference. The bottom line is that your soul needs a really big story in the struggle. And the good news of the Gospel is that Jesus Christ has the best possible story for your weary soul. Jesus the Messiah came in the form of a baby, and Jesus Christ the Messiah, He will come again. And this life you are living, and the stress that you absorb for the greater good, and the trials and the tribulation, and the suffering and the pain and the agony, it is not worthy of being compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us in the end. And in the infinity of time and in the infinity of joy that waits for all of us, that we live in a difficult time in the eons of history, but that a day is coming when all the evil in the world will be eradicated and all of the suffering with it. And we will dwell in peace and joy with one another for all time. Trillions of years. And so maybe if you're being really honest, you've been wondering where God is in all of the mess. Everything you're going through right now, where's God? You've been watching the news. Over 20,000 people have died in Israel-Palestine, most of whom are children and women and people who don't even have a gun in their hand. How do you make sense of this kind of stuff? Maybe to this day you can't understand why God didn't stop this thing from happening to you so many years ago. Why God let this thing happen to this person that you love. Why God? Why is evil and chaos getting away with it? But the promise of Scripture is that everything you go through, all the unfair stuff, all the terrible stuff, it's all part of a much bigger story. And what Peter is saying is that, yeah, a lot of bad people are getting away with a lot of bad things. Yeah, the world is not as it should be this Advent season. 
there's a good chance that your life is not exactly as it should be. And that things have happened to you that you did not deserve. But the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. And the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And when He does, Jesus is going to fix all of this. And Jesus can never return some of the things that have been taken from you. Some of the things that you've lost. But Jesus will come and put a final end to everything that is evil. And Jesus will expose and lay bare everything that is evil. And Peter says that you get to look forward to that. To a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness and only righteousness will dwell forever and forever for trillions of years. And that, my friends, that's what you call religion. Okay, that's what you call spirituality. When you see yourself and your story and your struggle and what you're going through as part of something there's a much bigger story. And you realize just how microscopic you really are in the great expanse of time and space. And you realize even your struggles, just how small they are in the context of the really big story. God, when you do that, when you put your faith in that, God literally brings peace to your heart and God eases the agony of a hard Advent season. And if your experience and your life and your suffering, if it doesn't have that, you're going to lose your mind. If your body's in total agony, you have no idea what's happening to you. You have no idea. It's just this jagged little rock grinding along the insides of your body. And there's no reason whatsoever for this suffering is ever going to produce anything. Without a purpose, suffering becomes insufferable. But if you are going through tremendous birth pains if you know and you trust and you have faith that all of this is going somewhere, not only that, but all of this is going somewhere that is beautiful to behold. Well then, it makes the bumpy ride a lot easier to manage. You see, when we see the bigger story, we are more resilient in the struggle. When my mother-in-law's body was racked in absolute pain, she had no idea what was happening. A microscopic little rock in her body was causing all this pain. Okay, It was more insufferable than giving birth to a human baby. And why? Why was a kidney stone more insufferable than giving birth? Because when we see the bigger story, we are more resilient in the struggle. Life's too short to pretend you are not religious, David Dark says everybody's religious so you better be careful about which one you pick because the religion of career and success and the religion of easy self-interested life is actually a terrible and oppressive 
religion. And no religion on earth, in my humble opinion, is as compassionate and true as the religion that says that 2,000 years ago, the Messiah was born in this world and demonstrated a life of humility and compassionate love and life-altering truth. And that Messiah will return once again. And that Messiah will destroy evil, everything that is evil, once and for all, and expose and lay bare all the real truth of everyone who has done bad things and gotten away with it. And the whole world will finally and forever and ever, for trillions of years, the whole world will dwell in righteousness and joy. So... This Advent season, what's left of it, this waiting for the Messiah season, this is what I want you to think about doing today and this week. When you have that conversation with that one difficult person, or you see that tragic violence in the news, or you deal once again with the afflictions in your body, whisper this Advent prayer, like this Advent prayer of trust. This to shall pass. This too shall pass. In the struggle, see yourself, situate yourself in God's larger story. God's trillion year long plan of dwelling in righteousness and peace and joy as we worship God together. And this too, whatever you're going through today, this too shall pass. That is a prayer of trust this Advent season. In 2024, I want you to return once again, over and over, to God's trillion-year-long story. Make a plan in 2024 to make worship, elevating your focus to Jesus Christ the Messiah through singing and prayer and worship and hearing God's good news preached. Make that an unflinching commitment in the rhythm of your life and of your family. Because suffering and witnessing evil and, and, and suffering is already non-negotiable in your life. You can't avoid that. You don't get to avoid hardship in life. But you get to choose kidney stones or childbirth. Kidney stones or childbirth. Only your faith in Jesus the Messiah, your discipleship journey, your spiritual journey, only your worship can ground your struggle in the bigger story and make you so much more resilient. When you see the bigger story, you are more resilient in the struggle. And soon all shall be well, and all shall be well. My friends, all manner of things shall be well. Thanks be to God for that. Will you pray with me? Loving and generous God, God who is patient, who is waiting for people to turn from their own self-interested, sinful lives so that You can come. We worship You and we wait on You and we trust in You that this too shall pass, whatever we are going through. And we are just happen to be in a short blip in a very, very, very long story of our own lives and of the whole world. We give thanks for the coming of the Messiah. It's in His name, the name of Jesus, the name above all names, that we pray these things. Amen.
My friends, the good news of the Gospel is that in Jesus Christ, the Kingdom of Heaven is available to you and to the whole world. And the Bible says that if you will believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And today I invite you to make that confession. If you're not an active member of a church, I invite you to come and join this church family today. I'll be standing down front as we stand and sing together.